The reading is taken from 1 Samuel, chapter 25, verses 1 to 31, which is found on page 297 of your Bibles in your pews. That is page 297. David, Nabal, and Abigail. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not ill-treat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable towards my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows not where? David's men turned round and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us, the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sails of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and two hundred cakes of pressed pigs, and loaded them onto donkeys. Then she said to her servants, Go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her, and and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, 
so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if, I, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got down off her donkey and bowed before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. As for your servant, I did not see the men my lord sent. And would you forgive me, I'm not using the uh, pulpit today. I'm finding the uh, steps a little difficult. So forgive me for staying down here at this lecture. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we can open the scriptures week by week and they teach us how we should live and how we should behave. And we have this chapter open before us this morning. Uh, Would you please help us to see the truth that you want us to have for this coming week. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, another amazing chapter to look at this morning. Three very different people, two of them certainly colourful characters. We're going to follow the chapter through from the beginning. It really begins, as you can see, with Samuel's death and his burial at Ramah. We find David and his men in this chapter uh, down at Ma'on, which means refuge, because of the continuing enmity between David and his men. David, between David and Saul, David and his men had to take refuge down at Paran, which is down in the southwest of the country. Wilderness it may be, but it was rich grazing for those that had flocks of sheep and goats. There's something that I want you to note before we start, and that is that David and his men were a real help to Nabal's men down in the wilderness. Look at verse 15. One of Nabal's men said, they were good to us. They didn't mistreat us. Verse 16, day and night they were a wall of protection. Uh, Nothing was missing. Verse 15. So what they're saying there is that David kept us safe and everything that we had safe. Now let's come to our first heading. Nabal uh, and the insult, this is verses 2 to 11. It's sheep shearing time. That's harvest festival for those that have sheep and goats. Look down at verse 5. That's not a faux pas when David sends these young men to Nabal to ask for some help. It's not an arrogant demand. It's a custom of the times. It's an unwritten law. There was a tacit understanding that those who kept sheep down in the wilderness should be looked after and get some recompense in return. That's all David is expecting there. Remember, he's got about 600 men there in the wilderness, and without the help of local farmers, uh, he's not going to be able to sustain that 
number of people. So the insult, Nabal's insult, verses 2 to 11. Let's notice one or two things about Nabal. He's certainly very rich, verse 2. He's got property and he's wealthy. Secondly, he's a fool. Verse 25 tells us that Nabal, the name means fool. So by name and by nature, he is a fool. He's not a fool in the conventional sense. Uh, He has everything that the world has to offer, wealth, influence, and a beautiful wife. But in the terms of God's definition, he's a fool. And his foolishness, like all true foolishness, rests in his understanding of God. And you see that in the way that he treats David. David is the Lord's anointed. David has an unteachable personal history. David is the shepherd boy who killed the giant. Everybody knew that. Uh, There's no doubt about that. And if you look in verse 3, we read that he's surly and mean in all his dealings. Look down at verse 6, 36, it will tell you that he's a glutton and a drunkard. So, Nabal, the insult, verses 2 to 11. Then notice in verse 3 that he's married. He's got an intelligent and beautiful wife. We'll look at that in a moment when we get to Abigail. And then notice the way that he insulted David. As I can say, there's no doubt that everybody knew that David was the giant killer. So he's being insulting David in the way that he doesn't accept that. There's one final thing I think we need to notice about Nabal. It's in verse 3 there, halfway through verse 3. Abigail uh, was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite. Did you notice that? Do you remember when the people of God were conquering Canaan uh, in the book of Joshua? In Joshua chapter 14, there's this remarkable man called Caleb. Uh, in the middle of the chapter, uh, it, it says, give me this mountain. You've given me a south land, now give me rivers of living water. I'm as strong today as the day that Moses sent me. Give me more land to conquer. And he's given Horeb to conquer, uh, and that seems to be where he got his riches. And what the scholars say is, it's probably mentioned here uh, in relationship to Nabal, so that we know that Nabal's wealth came from Caleb. That's what we're called to notice there. So Nabal, the insult, verses 2 to 11. One final thing is that final description of this nasty character in verse 17. I find it very weak there, verse 17. He's such a, a wicked man. I prefer the old translation there. He is a son of Belial. In other words, he's as bad as the worst of uh, Satan's demons. I'm sure we all know people like Nabal, overbearing, contemptuous, hard-hearted. Sad to say in the 60 years or so that I've been a clergyman, I know a tiny handful of women who on their 
wedding day thought that they were winning a great prize, only to discover a few days later they had married a neighbor. That's a very sad situation. So the insult, Nabal, a son of Belial. Now let's come to David and the overreaction. David is a godly man who behaves very, very badly. Let's bring this a bit up to date. He's a godly man living in Old Testament times. In our language, we would call him a, a Christian. Let's do that for a moment. His David, a Christian, loses his temper and he sets out to commit multiple murder. That's the situation that we've got here. David's men are humiliated by Nabal's contempt. David is angered by it and incensed, and he decides to exact entirely disproportionate vengeance on Nabal, and he goes with 400 armed men. One tiny insult and rivers of blood are about to flow. Let's notice one or two things about David. You can't be more blessed than this man, David. Do you remember we've looked at it before? He was filled with the Spirit. We've noticed that it's true in the Old Testament that God filled individual men with the Holy Spirit for particular ministries. But when we get to the day of Pentecost, every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit so that they might do the work of God and live holy lives. Have you worked out the, the position of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer today? The Holy Spirit is the permanent stand-in replacement for Jesus Christ that every believer has till the moment that they get to heaven. So here's David. He's a, a blessed man. Nobody could have a, a more important ministry than David. He's the Lord's anointed. He's called to be the king of God's people. And then notice a tiny temptation, and he falls into sin. Loses his temper, not just going out to kill Nabal, but he's going to kill, if you look at verse 21, every male in Nabal's family. Then I want you to notice, no matter what victories you have in the past, no, much, no matter how much you know of God's grace, no matter how much you know of God's power, no spiritual triumph can give you power to risk, resist the devil in the future if you decide to step outside the love and grace of God. It's the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, one or two of you have started to read about that. I found somebody two Sunday evenings ago reading a book on the Reformation and you, they were looking at the, a marvelous cry of the Reformation. Forgive me, it's in Latin, but it's very easy to understand. Simul justice et peccator. Simul it's just our word simultaneously. Simultaneously, justice. 
Simultaneously, the fact that if you are in Christ, you've been justified, you've been made right with God, so you have no problem with that. Which means that if you step out of church this morning into Holmes Avenue under a bus, you're going to go straight to heaven to be with God. There's no doubt about that. Simultaneously, you are justified at Peccator, but you're still a sinner. That's what we're seeing here in David's life. This is part of the fundamental teaching of the Church of England. Uh, Article 9 puts it like this. Neither in the regenerate nor in the the sanctified is the infection of sin taken away. So there's a bit of very bad news for you today. Until the very second that you get into heaven, you're going to be infected by sin. It's gloriously, impos- it's gloriously possible not to sin. That is a fact. It's grievously impossible to say, I'm never going to sin. That's a, a fact that we've got to live with until we get to heaven. So Nabal, the insult, verses 2 to 11. David, the overreaction, verses 12 to 13. And then lastly, Abigail, the resolution, and this is verses 14 to 31. Let's notice one or two things about this marvelous woman. Abigail, verse 3 again, she's intelligent and beautiful. I know many men who say that's all I need, but I'm afraid it's not enough. There is something more. If you simply marry an intelligent, a beautiful woman, the chances are that you could be marrying a female equivalent of Nabal if you're not careful. Uh, Proverbs 31 and verse 30 puts it exactly. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You want an intelligent and beautiful woman for a wife, Mostly you need one who fears the Lord. That's the important thing. Let's look at one or two things about this marvelous woman, Abigail. It was one of Nabal's men who told her about Nabal's behavior. Look at verse 14. David sent messages from the desert to give our master greetings, but he hurled insults at them. And then Abigail lost no time in assembling this generous gift. It's certainly the sort of gift that is going to start to feed uh, 600 hungry men. Look at verse 18. 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sealers of grain and corn and so on. It's a tremendous gift. And then look at this meeting that she has with David in verse 20 in the uh, mountain ravine. David's setting out. He's going to meet Nabal or one of his family. If it's a male, he's going to kill them. But God arranges for him to meet this woman, Abigail. David in this lonely mountain ravine 
meets this woman who totally changes her mind. Abigail's address to David is a, a brilliant tour de force, a masterpiece of feminine charm, wisdom, and grace. In an unmistakable way, you can hear the Holy Spirit trying to speak uh, to David's heart as she is talking. It's a, a fascinating story. There's a very deep bit of theology here. In the Bible, forgiveness and restitution go together. We see both of those uh, in Abigail's dealing with David. She takes the blame for Nabal's behavior, and then she offers David this gift of food, which is what the ten young men were asking for in the first place. The sweetest of victories is snatched from the face of defeat. David's heart is wonderfully changed. And verse 2, 32, he praises the Lord that he had sent Abigail to meet her that day, keeping him from bloodshed. It's all there. Nabal's unaware to all of these things happening. He's at home. He's his usual gluttonous self. He gets drunk. But the next day when he's sober, Abigail tells him uh, what she has done. The shock is so great that his heart fails him and it becomes like stone, verse 37. And about ten days later, the Lord struck, the scripture said, and he dies. Abigail becomes an eligible widow, so David quickly marries her. <laughs> Strange. He marries another woman at exactly the same time. This is all according to the polygamous custom of the time and seems to have no relevance to the biblical teaching on marriage. But there's another very deep truth here that we need to notice. That you've got this delightful woman, Abigail. She's got an unspeakable husband. But did you notice that she doesn't use that as an excuse for behaving in a strange way. She simply gets on to do what you would expect a godly woman to do. I found that a great uh, challenge in preparing this week. But I want you to take your order of service for a, a moment because there's something that we really haven't dealt with and that's the nub of the story. If you look there, Phil's given us a title preventative providence. That's what we're looking at here, and it's important that you see it. David is God's man, but he's lost his temper, and he's intent on murder. But God sends this woman to him, changes his mind, and he's brought back into the flock of God's people. Preventative providence. How does that work? What is the method here? Well, Abigail suggests rather a strange thing if you look at verse 29. She suggests that God uses a shepherd's slingshot. I don't know if you've ever worked out that these 
shepherds were very good with a slingshot. Uh, David wasn't lucky when he got Goliath. He was just doing what he could do. The scripture says, there were 700 men at one time with their left hand could sling a stone at a human hair and not miss. I don't know about you, but I'm right-handed. I couldn't sling a stone at a target the size of this building and hit it. But these men, these shepherds, they were so accurate they could hit a human hair. And they used that not only to kill wild animals that were becoming to the flock, but they used it to get back sheep that were going astray. One sheep going astray, so the shepherd aims a stone in front of it, turns it round, and brings it back into the flock. That's what's happening here. And it would have to be my testimony that over my life as a Christian, what I've been about to do something that I shouldn't do, there's been that preventative providence, God putting a stone in front of me and turning me around and bringing me back into the flock. About 55 years ago, I was a vicar in Chatham, Pip and Jim's Chatham, time of our carol service, Christmas, and I, I preached on the new life that we can have in Christ. There were two young people in the congregation, both in advertising, and they stopped to talk to me afterwards. They, they said this was quite new to them, that they could really have a new life. Over the next few days, uh, I saw them, and they became Christians. Uh, one time they said to me that they had planned to get married in six months' time and arranged to get married in the registry office. But now that they were Christians, they wanted to get married in church. Would I, I do that for them? And I said, of course I would. But it was six months to the wedding. Halfway through that time, they were uh, having lunch together, discussing all the details of the wedding. It can be a very difficult time for young people, you know, the, the wedding. It's not just arranging the day for themselves. It's what her parents want and what his parents want. And over lunch, with a little bit of badinage, and the girl took off her engagement ring and put it down and said, well, that's it, and walked out of the restaurant. As I say, they were both in advertising the young man finished his lunch, paid the bill, and went back to his uh, advertising agency where he was a creative director. His job that day was to uh, photograph a, a model for a garment of something like that. So he went into his room and set up his camera and had a very enjoyable afternoon photographing a very extremely beautiful young model. Towards the end of the afternoon, he, he said to her, is that your weekend back there? She said, yes. He said, well, how about a weekend away? I'm suddenly free. Let's go into the country and have a 
great weekend together. So she said, I think I'd like that. So after the photographic session, they drove down the M11 to Thetford, checked into the Bill Bell Hotel. As they were signing the register, the maitre d' came out from the dining room and he said, I'm terribly sorry, <clears throat> we're a little bit short-staffed. If, you could, if you're dining with us, if you could come in and uh, order, it would be a great help. So they left their cases there and they went in and ordered this fantastic supper together. And they sat and they enjoyed it. It came to an end. So they got up, they went right to reception. And they picked up their bags and the key to the room. They went up the stairs, the uh, room was just up a flight of stairs and as the young man put the key in the door and turned the key and the door swung open the model suddenly stepped back and she said you know I was at a cocktail party last night and somebody started to tell me about Jesus Christ and I would love to know more he says the young man said let's go into that room I shouldn't be here. Uh, I think I could still be engaged to be, uh, to be married. Uh, and I, I've, a few weeks ago I became a Christian, so I certainly shouldn't be here. Let's not go in. I'll drive you back to London and I'll put you in the best hotel for the weekend. And on the drive I'll tell you all that I've begun to discover about Jesus Christ. That man has just retired. He's been in a senior position of mission in a worldwide ministry. He's got two delightful children, both in God's, the Lord's ministry in different ways. And he often tells that story of how, when he was engaged, God, the great shepherd, used a shepherd's sling to put a stone in front of him and bring him back into the flock before he went away. Preventative providence. You're the Lord's people. Going out into this week, pray that when you fall into those silly situations you shouldn't be in, that God, the great shepherd, will use a stone from his sling to bring you back into the flock before it's too late. It will be my testimony that he's done that for me over the years, many times. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for that preventative providence by which you rescue your people. Thank you that you rescued David in our passage today when he lost his temper and went with murderous intent. But your slingshot turned him round and brought him back into the flock of your people. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.